if you are in a leadership position, you do have a voice and you can drive some change with that voice. So it's actually being more vocal and communicating about any systemic issues because if there are males at the helm, you don't blame the males for the system and the way it is. You actually help them by communicating and vocalising some of those and probably nine times out of ten they'll be open to the change. They weren't aware of it. So I think the opportunity is to use our voices to drive some change when we see it in, in organisations. Hello, and welcome to the new series of Realising Your Potential. In this very special series, I have the pleasure of speaking to inspiring women about their leadership journeys. From politicians to project managers, executive coaches to presenters, these women have done some incredible things and make for fascinating conversations. We discuss the challenges they've faced, the lessons they've learned, and explore what organisations can do to drive greater gender equality. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about, sharing perspectives and ways of thinking that educate, empower and celebrate. So join me as we dive into some great conversations with amazing people from all walks of life. I can't wait to see what we discover together. In this episode, I speak with one of our very own female leaders at Accolade Wines, Nancy Baghdadi. We talk about why Nancy used to change her name when applying for jobs and what she believes the challenges and opportunities are for women in work. And most importantly, what we can and should be doing to ensure equality in the world, not just the workplace. It's a brilliant conversation. So let's jump into it. So Nancy, welcome to the Realising Your Potential podcast series. I am super delighted to have you here today and hear more about you and your leadership journey. Thanks, great to be here. So can you tell us about your role and some of the key milestones that got you where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I'm currently a Global Innovation Director at Accolade Wines. Basically, that means I create and facilitate vibrant and exciting new products and drinks. But ultimately, my job is to drive change for the category, the consumer and the customers and the business. Pretty much about how do we disrupt and break paradigms from business as usual activity. And wine's probably one of those environments that is quite cluttered in the drinks industry. And then I've always been in marketing and innovation and predominantly in drinks, but I've been a little adventurous and I've worked overseas. So I've worked in different cultural environments. I've worked in London, I've worked in Dubai and I've worked in Sydney. And yeah, I've just had some amazing global roles working with different people from around the world. And really, it's really interesting when you leave your home, how you really experience different cultures and that helps shape how you become a leader as well, I think. And then I came back from Melbourne to Melbourne for six months, midway through my career. And I realised it was all chit chat about private schools, fancy cars and houses. And I thought, I'm not ready to do this yet. I'm not ready to grow up. So my husband, who was really supportive, and I took a role in Dubai. And that kind of is when my career took off, if you like, managing people, working with different countries, different regions, different channels, and it was a real stretch in my capability. And I think had I not moved to Dubai, I probably still would have been a brand manager at the business I was in in Melbourne eight to 10 years ago. I took a big leap of faith going to the Middle East. I've also worked overseas. I was privileged enough to work in West Africa and in London. And I always say that it was the key marker in my career professionally yes but I also think personally because even though you're living as an expat there are significant challenges so I would always say to someone if you get the opportunity to work overseas take it is that your view as well I think it does so much for you 100% I'm telling my niece as soon as you finish your university degree don't be in a hurry to stick around and settle down just go and experience the world because honestly it really does shape it and it dispelled a lot of myths for me about even working in the Middle East it was a 
far more progressive than I ever imagined. And obviously working in Dubai, Middle East country, beautiful country, but challenging too as a female, even though you were an expat. Did you find that? It's quite funny, Ange, because I thought it was going to be super challenging because it was all male bosses. And then in came a female expat boss leading a drink in the drinks industry. And that really shook the environment up. I think the men found it more challenging having female leaders in the Middle East than the females found it challenging being in that environment. I actually didn't find anything that challenging over there other than I had to get my husband's permission to buy alcohol when I was working in the alcohol sector, but he had to sign forms of consent allowing me to purchase alcohol whilst I was in the drinks industry. But other than that, I actually found it um, quite flexible, quite progressive. It's a really family-oriented place to work. People bringing in their family members to the office and kids would occasionally come in. It definitely dispelled a lot of myths for me working in the Middle East because I was expecting to be that second-class citizen over there as a female, but not at all. That's great to hear because when you talked about Dubai, I thought, I wonder how challenging that would be for a female, but that's great to hear. Tell me about any mentors, coaches or champions that you've had along the way and what have they taught you? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm really blessed. I've had a few. I, I'm going to start with my mum and dad as a mentor. They've probably taught me my work ethic and to be a hard worker and to be your best at work. Being a child of two migrants to Australia, they really did work hard. My mum was, you know, no parents by age one, came out here, put herself through uni, had a child, no family around her, worked full time here in Melbourne. So I think she really showed me how to be a trooper. My dad as well. It was always family first, but definitely work second. And then I suppose later on in life, I had some leaders, one in Dubai, a female leader there. She really did help shape the fact that you can have a family and a career at the same time as well. One thing I did come to learn by having some great leaders around me, and I've had quite a few consecutive great managers is it's usually the managers that put family first health second and then work-life balance are the ones that really do stand out for me as managers that you value and you want to be like so it's those line managers that and, and those leaders that have really pushed the health and well-being and the work-life balance that have really stood out for me and I've been really fortunate in my last probably four jobs to have managers with the same values that's great. I think for me, I, I relate to that. And I suppose it also comes down to that creating um, trust and psychological safety in the sense of they don't really mind when you get your job done, as long as you deliver to your timeframes or flag if you're not going to deliver. For me, I could go for a run at two in the afternoon as long as I delivered what I needed to, as opposed to that clock watching and yeah, realising that there's a holistic person, not just this robot that comes to work. What do you enjoy about being a leader? I enjoy shaping and influencing change and in companies and within my team. I enjoy letting my team spread their wings a little bit and you can occasionally get the twinkle in their eye when you know that they've, they're passionate about what they're doing and you're helping them give the freedom to get on and actually influence something in the business too. I really like influencing businesses. I like seeing my team influence me and other people back in return. So yeah, I find that quite rewarding. And that's an interesting one, yeah, because not everyone likes change. So being passionate and leading through change is, is great, but sometimes it takes a while to get other people there. Have you found that? A hundred percent, Ange, on a daily basis. I only came to realise, I think there's four personality types. You're an introvert, an extrovert, you're adventurous and you're adaptable. And some people just don't have adaptable in their kind of DNA. And I, I didn't realise it was something that people were born with versus environmental until recently. So I, it's actually been a bit of a an eye-opener for me seeing why people don't want to change it's actually that's their nature
What challenges have you faced in your career and what's helped you get through? Oh, yeah, I've had a few. I'm not going to lie, Ange. The first one's probably being an ethnic female. Sometimes you've got the, the female slight inequality going on, but then being an ethnic female, I've actually found in some countries a little difficult to manage. So my surname, rightly or wrongly, comes with some biases, my surname being Baghdadi. And whether there's conscious or unconscious bias, I'm not sure. But I learned at a very early age in my career, rather than spend half the job interviews going through what my name is and where it originated, etc., I actually changed my name quite a few times for job interviews just because it's all, I'm in marketing and it's all about personal branding. So I knew the environment. I didn't have to do it so much when I was in the Middle East because Baghdadi worked brilliantly over there. But in London, I did change it. I tested the waters with my husband's name, didn't work too well either. But then in Australia is where I really experienced a lot of talk about my surname. So I've changed it and I apply for jobs with one name, which is a relevant family name. I just not just plucked out of anywhere, but I apply for a job with another name. And then when I sign the papers, I just sign Baghdadi on there as well. So that's something I've had a few issues with. And one of probably the biggest challenges I've ever had was I accepted a job. I think it was a six month recruitment process. And I found out I was eight weeks pregnant and we weren't trying for the process took a while and it was very surprising for it. So I had to tell my boss before I actually told my family and I told him on day two of starting my new job and he congratulated me and he said it was fantastic news. He was so excited for me. However, the policies at the business at the time weren't as excited as he was <laughs> with my pregnancy. I, I was actually asked to resign from my position for being pregnant within the 12 month period, but I did push back and I said, I'm not resigning. I'm just pregnant. It's taken you six months. It's probably going to take you another six months to hire someone, given you've already scoured the country for someone. And so we actually got the policy changed. They changed it to manager's discretion. And I did have to come back after 12 weeks. So I had a C-section. And then I had that whole logistics of having to breastfeed and run off out of meetings and express and store it, et cetera. And then having to try and prove that I'm still as fit as I was before I had a baby and newborn. And so that was a really tricky and challenging time for me. And I suppose the learning out of that in hindsight is if is policies have been some policies have been written in the 90s you've got to have a conversation about them in a calm fashion obviously and you just challenge some of the policies and they drive change if you don't talk about it then policies don't change and then it happens to the next person and the next person and we all know as a female you just don't know when you're going to get pregnant <laughs> no exactly i had a different experience i was actually going through ivf and so I remember having that conversation in my head about whether or not I wanted to disclose that to my new employer because I could potentially have been in the same situation with you. And also just the attendance at medical appointments and trying to balance that. I didn't disclose it. I didn't feel that it was the right thing to do, probably because the culture wasn't as supportive as um, it could have been and it took a lot longer, so it wasn't an issue. But I remember having quite a lot of stress about what to do in that situation. And um, I also found not a lot of people talk about it either, even females. So you're left on your own and you've only got your partner or your family and they want to protect you. So they come from a place of love. So trying to get some independent thinking can often be a real struggle. So. I often now share my journey about how I became pregnant because I think a lot of people need that kind of sometimes ear to say, it's okay, yeah, I've been yeah. there, it feels like, and To yeah. normalise it as well. It needs to be normalised that some exactly. women are trying or got to go off to appointments. As I said, we don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, I know, exactly. And I remember just trying to keep it a secret and the stress of that and running off in my lunch hour to have an embryo transfer and then coming back to the office and pretending everything was quite normal. It seems a bit surreal now and I don't really know why I did it. But anyway, there you go. It's the choice you make at the time.
What do you think the biggest challenge is for women in leadership positions? Probably the fact that most women give birth around the time when someone's career is taking off. And so I think it's a real challenge to try and have that moment and then progress and and then either your career stalls because you take time off. I have seen some research on it that usually when a female does give birth, the perception is that she's not going to be in her A game when she comes back. Yet when a man has a new child addition in his family, he's more likely to be promoted. So that's always played on me and hence probably why I got to the workforce really quickly because I didn't want to be playing catch up and had to try and act quite normal in that space. And I actually think if men were treated equally and had the same duties as females did in a domestic drop-off pickup and paternity leave, that would actually help. But it's just as tricky for men, I would say, because when they have a child and they're dashing off to do the pickup. So I, I experienced a colleague of mine going, oh, daddy daycare duties, and they just get picked on as well. So I think the challenge is for both. If you're going to try and pick up and help your missus or whoever have a career as well, there's a bit of a challenge for men as well to pick up some of those roles too. And then on the flip side, though, what are the opportunities, do you think, for women in leadership? If you are in a leadership position, you do have a voice and you can drive some change with that voice. So it's actually being more vocal and communicating about any systemic issues because if there are males at the helm, you don't blame the males for the system and the way it is. You actually help them by communicating and vocalising some of those and probably nine times out of ten they'll be open to the change. They weren't aware of it. So I think the opportunity is to use our voices to drive some change when we see it in in organisations. Yeah, I've been thinking about this and some of my biggest supporters and promoters have been very senior males in the workforce who have been really accommodating of being a female. And I think sometimes I've experienced women not as supportive. So I think the opportunity can be also that women are our best advocates, that we talk each other up wherever we can and also be champions for each other. So I still think there's an opportunity. Yeah, opportunity there as well. I just think that women supporting women can be a very powerful space. Do you still see gender stereotypes today? You've talked about your name, obviously. So um, that's not a gender stereotype, that's a cultural stereotype. How do you manage them? I I now find it comical as to which name I use when. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's become, and even getting deliveries from overseas, I've put a different name on because otherwise it gets stuck in customs. But that's the name side. In terms of gender side, I would probably say there's a few meetings when someone says who's taking the minutes. Probably nine times out of ten, it's the female that ends up taking the minutes or we need coffee. It's usually the female that rips the page out of her book and and takes the coffee orders. And the biggest culprit is schools. I find whenever there's something going on with the child, they always ring the mum first and not the dad. And so for me, that's the biggest stereotype because I would love them to ring my husband because we both work. And so why do I have to drop everything all the time? I think there's an assumption that most mums are at home waiting for the call from school. I think the interesting one too is about how we're we're very comfortable in saying, hey, guys, as well. I do it a lot. So I've purposely tried to say folks rather than guys, which is probably really corny. But we we use the term reference guys quite a lot. We don't go, hey, girls. Yeah. So it's just interesting how those things stick. Yeah. What are still taboo subjects surrounding women in the workplace generally? And why do you think we struggle to talk about it? I think it's we struggle to talk about a few things because they're uncomfortable. But there's probably a few subjects like, I think it's not taboo, it's just uncomfortable. But I would say women who are coming back to breastfeed and expressing, I always found it really embarrassing to actually say I'm going off to breastfeed. And I had my tools with me in my bag and you're scurrying away between meetings to quickly go off and do it. But I found, you know, 
of all places, again, the Middle East, they used to put in one hour a day of breastfeeding leave <laughs> so you could go off and feed your child and come back to the office. And that's not a place I would have expected to happen. And another one which we touched on, and it is so touchy that even now I feel uncomfortable talking about it, is Australia's population is made up of 50% migrants or children of migrants. How many ethnic female leaders are there in Australia? I don't know if it's specific to the drinks industry, but I've very rarely seen any a, female leaders, ethnic leaders, all female and ethnic leaders. So for me, that's a really taboo subject and it does generally make people feel uncomfortable if they're not from an ethnic background or it feels a bit bullish to talk about it if you are ethnic. So I just find that topic's a little bit touchy still. And another one with which I'm not that close to yet, but women going through menopause is another touchy topic. Women are working to 65. It's highly likely that they'll be going through menopause as well. We don't talk about it, but I do know some organisations here are giving three or four days off of menopause leave to help women manage it. And I know in the UK, there's a big push for menopause leave at the moment, but we've still got a, a way to go, I think, don't we? So it's interesting about ethnic female leaders as well. There's very few female CEOs, let alone ethnic female CEOs or senior you know, executives. So yeah. it's a pretty good point. If you could provide others with advice on how best to support women in the workplace, what would you say? I would say you need to support men too, because if you support men the same way you support women, then the load gets lighter for the women. So they've actually got a bigger support network. I think I alluded to it earlier that the pickups and drop-offs and the domestic duties and paternity leave, that would really help women in the workplace if they didn't have to be the ones to dash off and do the drop-offs and the pickups. I've spoken to colleagues here and the males say they feel that before COVID they felt really uncomfortable doing pickups. They're like, oh, have you got the day off? Oh, are you not working? And now it's COVID's normalised males picking up. COVID has actually helped, I think, a lot in terms of sharing the domestic load. My husband's Swedish. And when we came to Australia, he was mortified at the lack of entitlements that mm. I got. He, got. he got more paternity leave than I got maternity leave paid. He wasn't there in his job for 12 months either. So I think supporting both equally helps everyone get back in the ring and manage a household a lot easier. And I think we've moved on um, a long way from the male going out for work and the, the female staying at home. Usually it's two people who are working because it's expensive to have a house with mortgages and things yeah we do have to equalize that the, the caregiving what's happening in the household yeah and childcare is not cheap either so it does take two if you want two people in the workforce and that to help pay for the childcare otherwise you know that's why women don't go back because childcare is so expensive and they're better off being home <laughs> What can organisations do to drive and support this change authentically, in your view? There's a few things. I'd say taking names off the CV. There's a conscious bias here, but when you're looking at names, that really does um, drive a perception of the person before you ever read the contents. And you're taking off the gender inequalities too. A name, you don't know if it's a male or female. And I'd say the other thing an organisation does is embrace feedback on outdated policies. So just be open to changing policies quickly. And I think actually at Accolade, we've done a great job of changing things quite quickly. In the last 12 months, probably I've seen the most change I've seen in any business happen that quickly with regards to policies and flexible working. And I'm not sure how much of that was HR-driven, Andrew, how much of that was COVID-driven, but whatever drove it, it was a brilliant outcome. It was a bit of both, to be honest with you. I think COVID has been so hard in many ways, but I think the positive thing that COVID has brought is the that we can now prove that people can work from home and still be productive and happy and healthy if, if you do it right if you put all of the checks and balances in place to make sure that you're taking regular breaks and you're using your commute time for something else you're not sitting at your laptop 24 hours a day because i don't know about you but 
if I'm working from home and I have the ability to put a load of washing on or something in the oven early so dinner's not as rushed, then I actually feel much more um, committed to doing more work because I just feel like my I'm more balanced. You feel yeah. like every, everything's winning, work's winning, home's winning, you're going to be winning at your weekend, you're going to rest actually. And yeah. No, I agree. It's actually been a game changer, but it's also going to be good to get back out. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and break the domestic. Like, yeah, there's a balance. So I think we might have struck that, hopefully. And then the other thing is that we want to have the best people. We've got big plans and high-performance culture. So how do we keep all these great people and attract the best talent? So it's a bit of a combination of the two, really, of why we're pushing the change so much. So, yeah. yeah. And I, it's brilliant, the whole three days, two days at home thing. It's, it's a real game-changer from how we were spending an hour commuting an hour back. And then you had to do drop off and it was a dollar fifty a minute if you a minute, you know, a late and you've got to oh. rely on traffic and the stress. We've removed a lot of stresses this way. A hundred percent. What advice would you give to your younger self? Probably that it's okay to take a little break from striving and running at a million miles an hour. There's nothing wrong with taking a few months off to have a child or to take a break a few years down the track after you've had a child, just to stop, slow down, reassess, and then get back in in the ring. I think sometimes you've got to slow down to go far. My um, trainer said to me that you can't build big muscles and be strong if you don't have rest days. So if you don't take time out, then you can't be strong. Or if you're constantly going hard all the time, exactly. um, you don't actually grow and become strong. You actually burn out. <laughs> exactly right. Is there anything you can tell us that's coming down the pipeline that we should be getting on early as consumers? 100% think that we should all be going and buying the Hardy Zero Elk Sparkling. There is no compromise in my view and it's low calorie and you can drink it throughout the week without any guilt whatsoever. But I really think we've got the strongest liquid on the planet, dare I say, with that Zero Elk Sparkling Hitt hitting shelves next month. We heard it here first, Nancy Baghdadi. That's the one to get. Beautiful, lovely, insightful answers. And I know that this is going to be a great conversation for our people. So thanks so much for your time. Norris, thank you for the invitation. I loved my conversation with Nancy, and although it was shocking to hear that she had to change her name just to get an interview, there are a lot of positive takeaways from her story. One lesson for me is to use your voice. No matter your position, change only happens when we speak up and challenge the norm. We must ask questions about why things are done the way they are and make assumptions and biases visible at every opportunity. But what did you take away? I'd love to hear what inspired or helped you grow in some way. You can respond by leaving a review or if you're listening on Spotify, you can answer via the Q&A section in the app. If you found this conversation to be as helpful and inspiring as I did, please remember to share it with friends and colleagues. You just never know who else it might positively impact. Next week, I'm speaking to executive coach Wendy Lenton, who is a leader that's had a profound effect on my career, and I can't wait to introduce you. As always, links and resources can be found in the show notes. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.